morning church how is everybody good good because god is good amen <laughs> all right so i know some of us um were aware last weekend um some of us were blessed to go and watch kim and davy go and get married we got to see our pastor um holding the ceremony between his daughter and her husband you know it was such a beautiful day and as a friend to both of them, it was just nice to see that they finally tied the knot after all these years. <laughs> and I'm sure that God's going to continue to bless you both in, as you make him the center of your relationship. Amen. Now, after the ceremony, we all headed back to the reception together. And it was a really relaxed environment. There were some drinks on everyone's tables and people were having a little here and there. You know, everyone was relaxed and it was a good chance to just unwind and chill out. And, uh, and I know some of us here know how the night escalated. But for those of you who don't, it's okay. I'm going to get into that in a bit. But before I do that, I thought I should just share my thoughts about alcohol. And, you know, try and show things from a biblical perspective, right? Because I know there are a few different perspectives out there and... For some people, we're a bit unsure whether it's okay or, or not to even touch alcohol as a Christian. Now, firstly, whenever the discussion of is drinking alcohol a sin comes up, the first thing that comes to mind is Jesus' first miracle, right? The first thing um, when he's in John 2, sorry, Jesus is at a wedding and all the wine has run out. And some servants bring, bring these big jars to Jesus, like massive gallons and gallons can fit in those jars. And in verse 7 it says, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. After tasting the drink, the master of the banquet says in verse 10, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have already had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. So we see Jesus performed a miracle and he's provided wine for the whole wedding, right? Now we know Jesus helps us turn away from sin. He wouldn't enable us or cause us to stumble, right? And if drinking alcohol was a sin, I'm sure he wouldn't have allowed that to happen, let alone be the guy who provides the alcohol for the party, right? If we look at scripture, we start to get, a, get more of an understanding of alcohol. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already accepted your works. And again, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 23, it says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. So from this, we can see that alcohol was a gift from God. 
and it can be used for our enjoyment, right? You know, to add more to that, Jesus broke the bread and gave the cup of wine to his disciples. Wine was like a celebratory drink, and um, it wasn't really as scrutinized in Jesus' time as it is now. But, you know, there's a very fine line when it comes to this substance. Amen? And if we're not careful, it can cause destruction in our lives. It can lead us down a dangerous path, right? In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, it says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Okay? In this passage, Paul is talking and saying, even though it's not against the law for me to do these things, to drink, it doesn't mean that it's beneficial for me. And he says he won't be brought under the power of these things, right? From here we can see that these problems come when we consume alcohol to the point that it consumes us. And that's where drinking becomes a sin. When we become drunk and lose our self-control, or we rely on a substance to provide us temporary relief from a physical or a psychological pain, being affected in this way can cause us to stumble and our thoughts and actions are directly influenced by this substance. Now, I'm not sure how many of you might have had a time when you did something embarrassing because you were affected by alcohol or some other substance. And although the Bible does talk about being merry and drinking wine, it also warns us against drunkenness. In Proverbs 23, verse 32, it says, Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. See, it might look good or enticing, but in the end, it bites like a snake. Drunkenness is poison, right? If we look a little further to Ephesians 5, it says in verse 18, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. From this, it shows us that getting drunk can lead us to living recklessly, right? From what we've read, we can see that the act of drinking itself is not a sin. But it can become a sin when it has more control over us than we do. So from this, it seems that as long as we can drink and still be in control of our mind and actions, then we can enjoy what God has created, right? Some people are like, hmm, I don't know. Is it? I don't know. You see, that was my mindset going into the wedding reception on Saturday night. That it's not a sin to drink, but just to be aware of myself and know what point I need to stop. Right? See, any time I ever drink, I'm very self-aware. And I would monitor myself so that I wouldn't drink too much or get drunk. You know, these scriptures are usually always in the back of my mind. And, um, yeah, if I'm ever drinking, I'm always trying to just be self-aware. 
But Saturday night was a little different. I was sitting there and I decided to have a glass of wine and I continued to drink a little bit more. I was drinking but still being my usual self, right? Just cracking jokes and stuff, having fun with everybody there. Then I got up to go to the bathroom, as you do. And on my way back to the table, I was just losing it. I could feel myself being out of control. There was no build-up to this point. It just felt like I was so bad at the table with everyone. I went to the toilet and came back drunk. There was no point where I became aware that I needed to stop. It just went from zero to 100. And it was such a weird experience that even still, I don't really understand it, how, how it just happened like that. I was really trying to keep it together, but the effects of the alcohol just kept growing and growing. And I just became more and more intoxicated as, like, as time was going on. I, was, I stopped, but it was just like building up and building up. And I ended up becoming a complete mess that night. I made a fool of myself. I had people looking after me, you know, it was just really bad. I felt when people would tell me stories of the night and what happened, I just felt so much embarrassment. I felt convicted, guilt and shame. You know, that's not the image a Christian man should have, right? There are examples in the Bible which show how we can embarrass ourselves in this way. In the story of Noah, we can see that he also found himself in a drunken state. In the book of Genesis chapter 9, verse 23, it talks about Noah after the flood. It says, he drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. So Noah's son walked into the tent and saw his father naked. Instead of helping him, he went outside and told his brothers, hey, come inside, have a look at this bloke. Noah was left in a state of embarrassment, and he cursed his son Ham for that. You see, even a great man like Noah, who was re responsible for rebuilding the new world, stumbled in this area as well, right? Just being in that state can lead us to take actions or make silly choices when we don't have that self-control, right? Now back to the wedding night. There were three things that really stood out to me. The first that was that, you know, we were there with our pastor and other leaders of the church. There were a lot of Christians at the wedding, right? But even more so than that, there were a lot of unbelievers there as well some friends and family of Kim and Davey who hadn't yet accepted Christ. And a lot of the non-believers are there observing us as Christians. We're the ones who are supposed to be setting the example, right? If we look at 1 Peter 2 verse 12, it says, 
conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. This passage refers to the non-believers who slander us as Christians. Non-believers observe our behaviors and our lifestyles. And we can give them the wrong impression about us and our Christian faith if we mess up like that, right? They might have seen my behavior and thought, oh, he's just a hypocrite, or there's no difference between him and any other alcoholic. It can really affect our image as Christians as well and their perception of what Christianity is. The second thing that really hurt and saddened me was the fact that I was sitting at the table with a lot of our youth. And as their leader, they tend to look up to me as a role model and an example of what a Christian should be, right? A lot of the times they'll see my actions and follow in my footsteps, whether I realize it or not. The Bible talks about this and explains how our actions can cause another to stumble. In 1 Corinthians 8 verse 9, it says, But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. We see that even though we have the right to do certain things, we could be causing another to stumble from our actions. You know, it's a really serious thing. And from that example, the youth might look at me and think, it's cool. Or they think, it's okay for them to do it as well, right? And it saddens me. And I hope that instead of following in that path, that they would instead look at this example of what not to do, as an example of what not to do. But I hope that through this, they're able to see how important it is to own up to their mistakes, to confess the areas they've stumbled in, and feel comfortable sharing that sin with others. The third thing that really affected me was the fact that I wasn't able to fully enjoy my friend's wedding. The two, like, two of the people that I love, this was their special day, and I was too out of control to celebrate that with them. I didn't even get to have a photo with them. And if I could turn back time, honestly, I would do it all and wouldn't touch it, ounce of alcohol. You see, some of us tell stories of being drunk in our past lives before Jesus. But this was me, and we're talking about last week. The whole week I was convicted and ashamed. I felt guilt taking over couldn't focus on anything else and I was so scared to stand here before everybody. I knew I had to preach this Sunday and honestly I was, I just didn't feel like I was the right man for the job. I wasn't sure if I was someone who could teach the youth. I was just so discouraged that I didn't know what to do. But you know, God used one of our brothers to speak life into my situation. He told me exactly what I needed to hear straight from the word. I want to share with you 1 John 1 verse 6. 
it says, if we claim we have fellowship with him and live in darkness, we are lying and do not act truthfully. But if we live in the light, in the same way as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. Now, when you read the first part, you might think, wow, I say I'm in a relationship with God and I still do these things. Am I living in darkness and not acting truthfully? But what John is saying is that we walk in darkness when we walk in unrepented sin. We do something sinful, but it's too dark to even see it as a sin. We don't feel convicted or even know that we've sinned. But when you're in the light, your sin is exposed. We become aware of our sin and convicted. And we rely on the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from that. The passage continues in verse 8. It says, If we claim we do not have any sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from everything we've done wrong. If we claim we have never sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You see, when we walk in the light, God helps us to recognize sin in our lives. And Jesus continues to cleanse us in this ongoing process. For anyone to claim they are perfect and holy or act like they are sinless, it says that they are just deceiving themselves and the truth is not in them. Some of us try to hide our sin and we put on our church faces. But sin, sin is something that every single person faces. We all battle it. So through recognizing the areas of sin in our lives and confessing our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Thank you, Lord. How amazing is our God that he knows we need his help every step of the way. He is there throughout the whole process shining his light on areas which are bringing us down. He's got the torch. He's like, there it is. You need that? And that passage really blessed and encouraged me to share with you all how my experience was. Now, I'm not trying to stand up here and tell you how I've sinned and then whack a bit of scripture on there to justify my actions or make it seem like it's okay because it's not. But if I, if I can use my example just to help someone, to encourage them, to show them it's okay to confess your sins. It's okay to show your real self. Put your church self at home and bring your... <laughs> Last time I was up here, I was talking about pride and how important it is to take up that humility position. 
And it's important that I practice what I preach, right? You know, before you all, I knew I needed to address this situation in order to move forward. So I want to say I'm sorry to all of you for the events that took place that night. As a brother in Christ, I apologize. I know some pastors and leaders, it's... It's very difficult for them to admit that they stumbled, right? But I want to be open with you all. This isn't something we should be just sweeping under the rug and I'll come up here and bring a totally different word, right? Now, it's sad that it had to take an experience like that for me to realize that this isn't what what I want anymore, right? Being a young person living in this generation, it can be difficult. Because the world is filled with temptation. And it can be so easy to stumble when we forget to honour God in everything we do. From this, I got this picture in the Old Testament. God established a way that the Israelites could consecrate themselves to him. This was by taking the Nazarite vow. I'm sure some of us are familiar with the Nazarites. The Nazarite vow was a way for ordinary Israelites to express their love for God and their gratitude to God practically. They make a vow, a commitment to be separated to the Lord. The book of Numbers chapter 6 explains this. It says, a man or woman makes a special vow, a Nazarite vow, to consecrate himself to the Lord. In some cases, children were born as Nazarites because their parents made the vow for them. This vow involved them doing certain things in order to remain holy and consecrated to the Lord. One of these things was not to drink wine or eat anything from the grapevine. No grapes, no grape juice, They were also not allowed to be near dead bodies. Even if it was their own family's funeral, they couldn't go. Because they had to remain holy for the Lord. They were required to let their hair grow, to grow long, and so that when everybody saw them, they knew that they were a Nazarite. They were truly set apart from the Israelites and remained consecrated to God. Now, from this, we see a group of people in the Old Testament who were set apart from others. They followed a vow and they remained holy to the Lord, right? You see, I always thought of the Nazarites as a group of people who took things to the next level. These are the next level guys. And I wasn't too sure how I related to that. But in this current generation, with all the temptations and the perverse nature of the people, I realize that there are those who are set apart and called to be consecrated to the Lord. And that's us, the church, the ecclesia. The Old Testament Nazarite provides a picture of what every New Testament disciple should be like. 
We are the Nazarites of this generation. Amen. I'm not saying that we need to abstain from eating grapes, cutting our hair, or going to funerals, but we have to recognize that we are set apart from this world. And what the world sees as okay, we see as stumbling stones in our relationship with God. It's not about us consecrating ourselves from our sins. Sometimes we feel like we have to try so hard to cut ourselves off from sin. But it's about being consecrated to God. We need to see it as we're setting ourselves apart from the world so that we can be with God, consecrated, to serve him and live a life that honours him. We know that we are in this world, but not of this world. And we need to carry ourselves accordingly. The more and more time we spend consecrating ourselves to him, the less sin will be in our lives. And just like the Nazarites, when somebody sees you, they will automatically know that you're set apart. You see, that's the thing. When you walk in Jesus, you walk in light. Because he is light. His holy light will expose every area that can bring us down, right? Now, what is our job? Our job is to acknowledge these areas. to confess and repent. From there, Jesus will cleanse us from our sin in this ongoing process where he continually shows us where we need his help and then helps us and perfects us continually. You see, I'm not perfect, clearly. And I'm not going to pretend that I am. You know, this whole message I've been preaching to myself. God revealed these things to me. It's not me standing saying, you need to do this, you need... (laughs) It's me doing this. Just hoping that anyone who can relate would feel the same... But I thank God for revealing this in the areas of my life where I need to confess and allow him to cleanse me from from that. That's how good our God is. Right? Now, I just want to say, after hearing this, you might feel that there are certain areas of your life that God has revealed to you just like he has revealed to me. And you might feel like you want to bring that before God. And I just want to thank Jesus for his light, which shines on us and reveals these areas to us so that we can work on them and no longer let them bring us down. Amen? Now, I just want to invite Pastor John to come up. He had a few words to share as well.
Thank you, Luke. The uh, first thing I want to say is that I didn't ask him to do any of this. Um, I knew that he was uh, rostered to preach this Sunday and I knew he was going to struggle. And uh, so when he called me um, and we began to talk it through, um, I soon found out that what Luke wanted to do is what he's just done, which is... which is something that we should see more of in the church. Amen. Confession and repentance of sin. I back this young man as a leader in our youth because when he has made a mistake like this, when he has allowed himself to step over into an area of sin, he had the humility to come and repent, confess it and repent and um I see the determination in him to be who God has called him to be. Now, I could tell you statistically how many people in our church, let's, let's widen the scope of what he's just been talking about for a minute, because it's not just alcohol that the church has a problem with. It can be prescription drugs, it can be marijuana, it can be drugs of addiction, it can be pornography, it can be all sorts of things. And I could give you the statistics about how many of you are stuck in pornography. I could give you the statistics of how many of you are stuck with problems of alcohol or problems with addiction or areas of secret sin that you've been going round and round and round in. I think it's worth uh, sharing at this point a little aspect of my testimony, just one story, that when I was a 14-year-old kid and I kind of wandered off from the Lord, I never set out to be a drug addict. I don't think anybody ever does. Nobody ever wakes up one morning and goes, I'm going to stick heroin in my arm until I'm so addicted that I destroy every relationship in my life and lose my hope for the future and just lose 20 years of my life. Nobody does that. But what happens is that the enemy exploits the weakness he finds in your life because he knows God has a call on you. God chose us. We didn't choose him. We're not doing God any favours in being here this morning. Is that right? So let me tell you how bad this got. In 1985, I was about to get married, not to my darling wife, Kerry, but in my first marriage. And the week before the wedding, uh, my... Uh, my fiance at the time and myself, we had big, big problems with heroin and cocaine. And we lived in Darlinghurst in the city. And uh, I decided one night it was going to be a really good idea to go and score some heroin. And we knew at the time that um, the best heroin in, on the streets in Sydney was carried by the prostitutes up in King's Cross. And so uh, we just went wandering up under the Coke sign until I saw one of those street walkers nodding off in her position on the street. And I thought, okay, there's a good prospect right there because I could see she was obviously under the influence of some pretty good gear. 
and I asked her if she could score for us. She said, yes, said, come up to the room I'm working out of. So there we are in this dingy hotel room, and then she says to me, uh, you better be careful with this because it's uh, way stronger than possibly what you're used to. There's some really good stuff around at the moment. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah no worries. Hit myself up with a shot of heroin, hit the floor, turned blue, my heart stopped, breathing stopped, everything stopped. And I've double-checked this uh, testimony with my ex-wife more than once. And her testimony is uh, that, see, we were just near the El Alamein fountain and the nearest hospital was St Vincent's Hospital and the ambulance being a Friday night, I think it was like 12 or 1 in the morning, it took the ambulance between 12 and 15 minutes to get to the place where I was. And during that 12 or 15 minutes, I was not breathing. My heart was not beating. My, I, I had turned blue. I was dead. Medical science says after two or three minutes of no brain activity, you have permanent brain damage. And if you come back out of that, you're a vegetable. All I can say is that God is faithful. And uh, when the ambulance people turned up, they, I don't know how much Narcane, which is this drug that reverses the effect of opiates, how much Narcane they popped into me, but um, I woke up in St Vincent's Hospital and checked myself out of hospital straight away and uh, went on my merry way. And it was a number of years before I actually came back to the Lord. The point of my telling you this story is that you're not called to be anything like that. And the enemy has your number and he knows the areas of weakness that he knows I can come and push this button and they're probably going to react. They're probably going to step into something that they're going to regret. The enemy has a plan to derail your life and your ministry. You all have a ministry. You are all ministers of the gospel. You're all called to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. But more importantly than that, you are all called to be like Jesus. And you can't be like Jesus and be sitting at home on your phone watching pornography. You can't be like Jesus and be out hitting the pub with your friends at 2 o'clock in the morning in a nightclub getting hammered. You can't be like Jesus and stepping into the areas of sexual sin that are so celebrated in the culture that we live in. Luke's testimony of the Nazarite is not something that is legalistic. I believe he had it in the right context. A Nazarite was somebody who said, I'm laying my life down to serve God's purpose. Isn't that what you did when you came to Jesus? Because if that's not what you did, you didn't actually get properly saved, might I suggest to you. Because we're not called just to have Jesus as a an insurance policy so that we don't go to hell. We're not separated from God from all eternity. We're called to accept him as not just saviour but Lord. He is the boss. And when you recognise what your areas of weakness are, it is entirely appropriate for you to make the determination in your heart, I am never going to step into that area again. 
the uh, consecration to God that the Nazarite made, the consecration to which the Holy Spirit is constantly inviting us into. He's constantly inviting us into this process of consecration. It's where we consecrate ourselves to God. It's not like just this consecration of saying, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's the consecration that says, I need you more. And when we are consecrated to him instead of away from something, then the things that we need to be away from suddenly have more distance from us than they did before and they fall away and we become truly free. See, you're all called to be revivalists to this generation. Which generation? Your generation. The generation that you belong to. I'm in a different generation to Luke. But we're all called together so that no matter what age group somebody is in that we encounter, if we can't connect with them as, as well as we'd like, we can, I can say to a 24-year-old, hey, I need you to meet my friend Luke. He'll talk to you about this. Do you get where I'm coming from? It, it, it's, not a, it's not a matter of uh, we're just called to this generation. We're a multi-generational church and all of us need to grow up into the fullness of the stature of Christ and we can't do it if we allow the hooks of the enemy to remain in us and pull us into behaviours that are unchrist-like. I felt that it was... Uh, that this morning was a real opportunity for all of us, but more importantly, more importantly, each of us individually to draw a line in the sand about where we're at. So if you're here this morning or perhaps joining us online and there's an area of your life that, that you, you go, you know, my, my area of sin's not the same as Luke's, but it's got a hold on me just like, what happened to him? All of a sudden, unexpectedly, it bit me like a snake. If you've got any area like that in your life, I invite you this morning, let's get these things right. There, are, um, there have been seasons in the church, particularly I think of the... Uh, late 1800s and some of the revivals that I've heard about where people would spontaneously get out of their seat and come out the front and publicly repent of and confess their sin. I'm not asking you to do that this morning. If anyone wants to, jump on your feet and come out now. I guess we need some more presence of the Lord in this place to really see revival. May I need to repent for having um, unforgiveness. That's what the Lord showed me this week. It was towards my ex-husband and his family. So, Lord, I just repent for holding any unforgiveness towards them, Lord, and I just forgive. I let go and let you take over, Lord God. Praise your name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Irene. 
I repent of smoking and I renounce of coming to agreement with the lies of the enemy. I thank you, Lord. I want to tell you that we have grieved and quenched the Holy Spirit long enough. We've allowed him to take control over areas of our lives that he has no business being anywhere near. God bless you, Renee. God bless you, Irene. God bless you, Luke. Um, I want to repent for having resentment to my son's partner who just had a baby. Um, I was upset with her because she posted photos of everybody else at the hospital but not me. So I felt rejected from her and um, I just want to repent for, for being upset with her and, um, yeah, I felt like I was rejected and I do so much and I was hurt. So, Father God, I'm so sorry that I, I didn't, I don't even know how to say it. I'm just sorry that I felt uncomfortable and I was, I was upset and hurt and I'm sorry God that I, <laughs> I, I have to go there now, I have to go there and I haven't seen my granddaughter and I, I'm, I don't want to take that with me when I go today, I don't want to take it. Thank you Lord. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, when we confess our sin, it's just not just a matter of getting the guilt and shame out of the way. It's the cleansing of unrighteousness. It's the moving of being closer to him. I want to confess to you all the sin of wanting to run away from the responsibility of leading this church. There have been times in the last six months where I just, I like, forget this guy. I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, yesterday morning, um, God was dealing with me about that. And he's had to deal with me a number of times over the years over similar things because my life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. And that sin of pride that Luke was speaking about, I think, is more sneaky and more pervasive than sometimes we allow ourselves to admit. And so in dismantling this lie that wanted to find its way into my ministry, 
I just want to say before Jesus that it is an honour to lead this church and I refuse to listen to the, the lies of the enemy because you are all such beautiful trophies of grace and God has such amazing, amazing plans for you all. And if there's something that I've learned in the years since I gave my life to the Lord, is that we should just lay ourselves on the altar and let the fire fall. I just want to thank God for having brought me to a church like this with a pastor who has such a father's heart. And I just want to repent of bitterness against my ex-husband for all the lies he's told against me that have destroyed all my relationships. I feel like I've forgiven him a thousand times. But God has shown me this morning there's still so much rage and bitterness there. And I just ask you to forgive me, God, and cleanse me in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Mary Jim, Mary Ann. I just want to repent today for it's been hammering my heart for a long time. I just fall about, uh, family falling about, and I take the enemy bait and it's head. And uh, living a compromised Christian lifestyle, that's it's head. Because uh, when I take in the enemies, but I don't blame the enemies, but I, I have a choice to make, and I falling into it, and it's hurt me, and I start turning to be, from being a nice guy to be a monster. And I realize it's, I'm going downhill, and if I don't turn around, it's going to take me down for the rest of my life. It's going to take me with the kids. And I just falling to the enemies, living in a compromised lifestyle, Christian lifestyle, and you're thinking, if you're going to stay there too long, and you think it's okay. And sin's becoming in your, and the way you're thinking, the sin is becoming okay. As long as no one know it, as long as, and I just walk on it, and as, today I just ask God to forgive me in behalf of you guys, and confess it in publicly, and I feel better. And to standing in front of you, and uh, I just feel the weight, it's lifted. Because not only confessing, but I decided in my heart, I from today, I'm going to turn around.
We love you, bro. We love the kids. We love what God is doing in your heart. I've got to tell you, this, this fella's got such a huge heart. And uh, just glad I, you know, never ran into a dark alley. With you in it when you were at your worst and I was at mine. <laughs> Quite possible neither of us would be here today. <laughs> God bless you, Sione. Uh, The Lord was um, this last week just revealing to me um, the issues of abandonment that I've had because my dad left home when I was 17. And so I was making inner vows that would, yeah, inner vows. Um, and and it, it, God just showed me how I just didn't really like appreciate, you know, like the father's figures like in my life and even... Um, having distrust with men and so like and it's it's beautiful what's been happening because God has brought me like such a beautiful man Jermaine Um, (laughs) he's beautiful (laughs) but he's also it's also like it's also revealed things to me like in my heart like I just felt like running away like the first week (laughs) and then it's just like God's just showing me like he loves me. He is my father. He loves me. And there's no, I don't need to fear of him of leaving or anything like that. And I can just embrace Jesus and embrace God, embrace the father and the male figures in my life and trust them. So, yeah, I just, I repented and came back and realigned myself. Yeah. The enemy's destruction of the family is probably his most effective ploy over the last two generations, I would say. You, you got something, Christabel? The spirit of unforgiveness is very, very strong. Sometimes you might think you have forgiven the person when you don't see that person. But the moment you see that person, and then your heart goes, <laughs> you just want to do something. And this is what happened to me. I thought I was forgiving somebody. And then the moment I see that person, I don't even want to see that person. I said, how can I say I've forg- forgiven that person and I still carry that bitterness inside me? And I prayed and prayed and prayed and God released me of that. Two weeks ago, something happened at work. And it was about a client, and uh, I, he had some of rashes in the back. I, I treated it and everything, and everything was okay. On Sunday, I came to church, but whoever took over, I think, was a bit negligence. And he had some rashes and all that. And he said, she said something. And then on Monday, my work called me. And then the 
case manager was saying something, oh, I'm going to remove that person from there. I said, oh, why? Why are you removing? If you remove it, it means the person is not going to have a job. See, I've got compassion. I didn't know what she's done. Later on, I said, I said oh, Christopher, you've got a good heart. And then later on, telling me that, oh, this is all the things she came to say, 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 say. I go, oh. And I'm here pleading for her to come here, to come back to this place. And I was a bit, oh, God, what do I do? I'm sitting now at peace. The moment I saw her, my heart went, whoa, 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 whoa. What did you, I just want to confront her. Why did you do this to me? And then one is also holding me back. Just leave it. Just leave it. Just leave it. Just leave it. So I thank God I left it because we need his grace to forgive, isn't it? We need grace. <laughs> we need grace. <laughs> if, if only we could just see it from God's perspective occasionally and see exactly how much he's forgiven us. And yet we get so petty over forgiving others. Amen. Is there anybody else that wants to make a public confession of anything? Because I'm going to... Uh... Ah, Kimberly. I want to repent of not always being real with people and putting a mask of perfection on when that's not true. And I also want to repent of... Um, giving in under peer pressure and drinking and trying to impress people as well. This is another one I'm very proud of. Um, Sometimes you need to know the backstory to fully appreciate how far people have come. And sometimes when you know the backstory, you're more willing to extend grace. And that's not quite right, is it? And uh, I just see this is such a powerful thing that the Lord has opened up this morning for all of us. I don't think he's done yet. We're going to go in and do a little bit of worship and I'm going to ask the ministry team to come out. And I know that there's people here and you're like, I couldn't possibly get out the front there and and confess this before all these people. And That's fine. Um, but I want to give the opportunity, while the anointing of the Holy Spirit is here, for those of you who want to deal with stuff, like really, really deal with stuff, Come out the front and bring your confession to one of the ministry team because it's such a powerful thing to do. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm just going to ask the worship team to come up with me for a while. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come out the front and get ready to pray for people. And uh, we're just going to worship the Lord for a while and um, feel free to leave whenever you, whenever you feel the need to. But I would encourage you, if there's something that you know that you need to bring before the Lord and just 
Get it out of the dark and into the light. When you get it into the light, it's got no power anymore. As long as it's in the dark, it has power and influence over you. When it's in the light, it has no more power. 